Hey guys, welcome back to the Moms Talk Autism podcast. Today we have a very lovely guest on, so stay tuned and we will be right back with her. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are having a very special guest on, um, somebody that I am very, very fond of. This is Natasha, by the way. Um, <clears throat> she is somebody who is directly linked to my child's uh, therapy uh, through school, and I just feel like I hit it off with her from the moment I met her, um, not just with her an amazing personality, but also just with her very jump right in, uh, get going, excited to know your child kind of situation. So without further ado, Sarah Anzalone, say hello. Hello. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. Yes. We are excited to have you. We have had on a, um, Sarah is is Jack's speech and language pathologist at school. So his uh, his speech speech lady. He's the speech. Mm-hmm. She's she's mm-hmm. the speech lady. Um, and we have had other speech therapists on. Correct, Shan. We have yes. we had we have speech two or just one. Okay, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we kind of wanted to give you guys a um, kind of a deeper understanding in the school through. Spe- uh, speech through the school district and kind of what that looks like. And um, there's so many of you who are, you know, just getting started in the process and and maybe you're just getting an, an, your child's IEP and, you know, you're possibly graduating, graduating out of the um, early intervention program. And you're like, what, what do we do? What do we do? Where do we go? What's the right thing? So we wanted to bring Sarah on today to speak with you guys because she has kind of seen both sides of it and is now currently doing it specifically in the school district. So Sarah, yes, please, please, please give us a little, give us a little background on you. A little, little bit of everything, a little bit of uh, where okay. you're from. Okay. Yeah. Kids, husband, sure. et cetera. Yeah. So I, yeah, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I moved down to the desert to go to school to um, Nevada, to Las Vegas. Um, I started my career in education um, and kind of quickly realized that that wasn't really, I, you know, where I wanted to be. Um, and around that time, I had a person in my life that was um, kind of navigating the um, the medical world going from a rehab, looking for um, an assisted living and watching um, this person who I love very dearly sort of try to try to learn, you know, as we go through the process and try to understand, um, understand the process and understand, you know, the medical world, which, which is complicated and confusing. Yes. And um, so watching her um, work with this team of therapists, occupational, physical and speech therapy, um, and watching these, these disciplines work together so seamlessly and really take such good care of her and, um, and just kind of hold her hand through this whole process. I just loved this, this team of people and how they worked together so seamlessly. And I thought that was really the field that I wanted to go in. So I went back to school. Um, and as soon as I started working in the schools, I had never worked with young children. I didn't have young children of my own at the time. So, um, it just kind of opened a whole new world to me. Um, you know, when you work with adults and working in the medical field, while I think it's fascinating and I can really appreciate the work that's done there, um, working with kids and helping them do things that they have never been able to do, as opposed to, you know, a lot of times with adults, you're working 
with people who have lost skills and it's very frustrating. Right. So um, right. just kind of getting to know all these unique little people, it just, it was such a, a perfect fit for me. And I've been doing, um, doing this work in the elementary schools ever since. I, I can't, I can't imagine any other setting for me. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have yeah. kids of my own um, that are, you know, they're growing quickly and it's been fun to kind of, um, it's, it's helped me as a clinician, as a therapist, watching them transition through each of these stages and kind of, it's, it's helpful just, you know, being able to speak to someone parent to parent as well. So. Yeah. 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 Kind yeah. of having that better, better understanding of um, maybe not, you know, having a neurodivergent child, but definitely understanding that, that, that parenting aspect it, of it. Exactly. And um, wanting what's best for your kid at the schools. And- yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So how, so um, one more time, how long have you been doing speech therapy? Um, I started as a speech pathologist in 2009. 2009. Okay. Yeah. And you did, and, and you started, did work in the clinical setting for a little bit. Yes. Um, I just, just during grad school, I started, um, just, yep, okay, scratch I started service. in yeah. the schools yeah. in, um, in Las Vegas and then we relocated up to the Pacific Northwest about a year and a half ago. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Really, um, my experience in the schools has been just in a couple different school districts, but school um, districts. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, um, Las Vegas, probably very different than Camas. Yes. Significantly. <laughs> and very I, it's, lo- yes, large. Yes. Yeah. We've taken, it's yeah. funny because, you know, there, are, there are some pros and cons to each, but coming here and I was, I was sharing this with you and we spoke earlier, um, being in a smaller community, um, and just scaling down the, the sheer number of, of everyone, of team members, of students, of, of bodies on campus. Um, I really think it makes, um, it makes my job a little easier to do from, from my, that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So you're pretty, yeah, yeah. And so when you got started, when you decided, okay, this is it, I, I want to work with, you know, with children um, or adolescents, mm-hmm. maybe even teenagers, but maybe not, <laughs> um, you went right into the school district. And so what kind of was your, um, had you, had you worked with like early intervention program kids, uh, you know, or kids that were coming in from early intervention and testing into the school district or Mm -hmm. maybe even kids, you know, we, we have, we have people that, that are, you know, part of our community that have their child is in kindergarten or first grade or second grade, and they're just getting their diagnosis. Or maybe it's some, a setting from the school where the school notices something and then they work with the family and a team to kind of go through that that process. So how does that kind of look how does that look for you when you when you got started? Mm-hmm. You know, was it was that a bigger portion of the families? So over the years I've I've been fortunate enough to kind of try out lots of different programs and kind of been able to experience a lot of different students with communication mm-hmm. needs. Um, and when you when you look in the grand scheme of things, a lot of our our special education services, they're, you know, they're federally um, mandated. So so they look right. the same um, all across the country, but of course the programs maybe have different names or um, you know, are different Great, um, ages grouped together. Um, some of the things that are consistent are the, the early in- intervention programs, um, birth to age three. And then there's yeah. the, the early childhood programs. And those can be, those can vary. So there are, I've seen programs where there are, um, uh, children with autism or autistic children along with children with other, um, intellectual impairments, developmental delays, just sort of the gamut of disabilities can be together. Um, And also a lot of times I've seen some really great um, typical peer modeling programs. So they'll Mm -hmm. have a blend of, of um, students all in one classroom. Um, So there are so many different ways that districts can roll out programs for, for your child from, from, um, age three to five, and then as they transition to kinder and elementary school, um, typically it's there will be, um, as you guys probably know, there will be the um, primary grade levels will be grouped together, and then the upper elementary, so third, fourth, and fifth grade, or sometimes fourth and fifth grade will be grouped together in in a program or in a classroom. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that's I Shannon, Shannon, really quickly, that's your this is Gracie's first year of that, right? Being with the in the older group. Sorry, you guys. Yeah. Shannon is here too. Mm-hmm. I'm just over here listening. Just- um <laughs> yeah, Gracie just went into the upper age kids. So third grade this year. Okay. So and, and then, then and then Jack is his it, this is his second year. So um it does look very different than than um, you know, when it was K through through second. So um it's it's interesting <clears throat> in that in yeah. those regards. And and it's also I think important to remember that when um when the team is looking at at your child and saying, you know, what's the best fit? What's the best classroom? What what program would be would look best for your child? You know, it's right. not always um what we call the self-contained program, which I think that is that mm. term pretty common to Yes. listeners. Yeah. So, yep. um, it, you know, sometimes they, you know, that's, that's not the best fit and sometimes it is. And, um, you know, as you guys know, when you're making a plan for your child or you're developing, um, an individualized education plan for them, it's so fluid, you know, you can try something and say, this is not working. And, mm-hmm. you know, and the team really, they like to see, um, that we try it for a while and we make changes and we modify before we, you know, yank, yank a student out and put them somewhere else or, you know, or change things drastically. But, um, but I always like to remind parents that, you know, it is a document, but it's, um, uh, a, a working document and we can always yes. make changes to it as, as we see fit. So I don't know if I really answered your question of, of, as far as early intervention programs. But, um, but I've, I've loved working in early childhood programs. So, yes. Yeah. So, so, um, I just, I guess I'll go back to it is that just being in, um, the elementary, did you, have you worked with kiddos that are doing that pre-K that have come from maybe an early intervention, you know, they, they, um, they tested out of the early intervention, but in, of course, into the school district because of still needing that extra, Mm -hmm you know, those services, um, and then, and now being in a pre-K program, uh, whether it be all, you know, kiddos with, with disabilities or a kind of a, uh, you know, integrated classroom. Um, how, I guess, how, how does that look? So let me, let me pause. Hmm. Let me give the example. So Jack, for instance, since we're, since I'm Jack's mom, we will talk about him and, and maybe Shannon can give a, um, (laughs) a little quick about Gracie. Um, you know, Jack was in the early intervention program because of being born early, et cetera. Um, we, at this point had no, no idea about autism, anything like that. Um, but then close to three, you know, when they did the testing, um, to see if he was going to just graduate out or go, you know, go into the school, our local school district, they, they tested him out of it, you know? And so as parents sitting in, going, no, are, are there's something like we, we, we don't know what it is, but there's, there's something, um, not really having feeling like we had any say, I suppose. And so going ahead and just putting him, him in the local co-op, you know, and then that turning out just disaster. I mean, disaster after disaster. And then at that point we're, you know, we're getting into, okay, let's go down the, the route of, of, you know, getting him tested. We're on the list. We're waiting for, you know, the, one of the major hospitals here. Um, and he's now being tested through private services, you know, through a psychiatrist of like whether he can get speech therapy, occupational therapy, et cetera. Um, you know, so how, how, how does that look for those parents who are, are kind of like, okay, my, my kiddo, I don't know if they even qualify for early intervention or there's something I just don't know. Um, can somebody just walk into a school district and say, test my child. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it was that easy for us, but I only knew of that because of uh, Jack's occupational therapist that he was seeing in, you know, privately. Um, she, she worked in the school district. She knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And she said, yeah, just walk right in there and tell them you want, you know, you want him to be tested. And it was, it was kind of just as easy as that, but I don't, I mean, I don't want to say that that's going to be for everybody. And, and, and Shannon, I don't know what your situation for Gracie was like, but, um, how, how does that work for a parent 
Sarah, where, where. Yeah. Yeah. So a couple things when, when you're, if you're, Child is receiving early intervention services, which is great because we all know that research tells us that starting early is is just so paramount for their success and for their continued development and growth. So right. once you've got those services, you're on the right track. Um, when we talk about diagnoses and um, and um, school eligibility, they go right. hand in hand, but they're so different as, as you guys know. So, so your child may have an, a diagnosis of, of autism or something else, um, whether it's a genetic a, a syndrome or, or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, the school district, the school district, the team that you work with will take that and, and look at it and, and consider that and, and really like, you know, study those pieces. But then, um, the, their job is to determine whether or not your student meets that eligibility criteria for special right. education services. So, and that, and, you know, sometimes I've seen a student, um, with, with, um, I guess the eligibility doesn't necessarily drive the placement. So where your student will go. So it's, it's an important piece because it helps us decide what services do they need? You know, where are they functioning when we do this whole evaluation? And, you know, typically a student with autism, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, you know, communication deficits are deeply rooted in, in that diagnosis. So, almost always speech therapy services, you know, are warranted, um, occupational physical therapy, kind of depending on the needs of your child. Um, but I think it's important. A lot of times people will come and say, my, my child needs help and, and we'll do an evaluation and really maybe the child needs some accommodations or some supports at school, but they don't really need a very complicated, very heavy program. They, they just need a little support and they'll, they'll, you know, do very well, um, in a general education setting. So it's important for, I think, parents to remember that they're, that while the outside diagnosis is important, it's not necessarily, um, tied so closely to the school eligibility. Um, right. But typically I, I've, in my experience and, and maybe not in like in yours, Tosh, it sounds like, but typically when the team, um, the school psychologist, the special educators, um, the general education teachers, and then the therapists, when they do their um, evaluations, I, I mean, I have found that typically what, what we're describing is kind of is really mirrors what the parents are seeing at home. Um, right, and we're typically right. on the same page, but not always, you know, sometimes it's like, I'm seeing a lot more at home than you guys are seeing in, in this three hour assessment that you did. And, you know, we're trying to really paint a very, a very um, clear picture of a student that, you know, we don't live with and we're not, you know, haven't yeah. known for their yeah. whole lives. Um, yeah. Well, I, I mean, cause I, I have to say, I, I'm so grateful that we're in that Camas school district because, um, and, and that we had the occupational, the, the private occupational therapist outside that, you know, gave us this information because the minute that we walked in and started that, that process of testing, <laughs> it, it was not even 30 minutes. And, sh- and she came out and she said, we're, you know, we're still going, but like, you know, I can't say this technically, but yes, Jack Certainty. will be getting, receiving services. Right. And and he didn't even have a diagnosis at this point. So um, it was just like that obvious to, you know, these different moving parts, these different people in in the testing program at the school that said, yeah, there's, there's major deficits here, you know? So mm-hmm. um, kind of just for those parents out there who you know, their child isn't in early intervention and they don't know what's going on. Like, how can they even start? Where can they even go? But they can, they can go into their local Mm -hmm. school district and, and request to be, you know, to have their child tested. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when, when, um, when you go to the early intervention services, your, your local, um, area, yeah. They're, they're going to help you to transition. Okay. You know, your kid is two years and 10 months. Let's start talking about a plan for, for preschool, preschool. um, for, mm-hmm. a, for, a, um, 
transitional kinders, you know, we'll start moving in that direction and they'll kind of guide you. So this, and then oftentimes that placement, while you might not, you know, wind up at your zoned school, they're going to find the closest school to you that has a program that meets your students' needs. So, um, so it's important for parents to remember, you know, um, to, to ask all of the questions that they need to make sure that Mm -hmm. they know, you know, um, what does the program look like? What's the size of the program? What's the, the number of staff members that, that I can expect for teaching teachers and paraprofessionals? Um, and, and hopefully, you know, we'd like to see that the transition from receiving the early intervention, which is most often in the home now, um, right. to going yes. to that preschool, yeah. that they have the same um, services and supports that they need to be successful in the preschool program. And then typically after the, the preschool, then, you know, every, at the end of every year, the team has to come together and, and think about what's the best placement for your child for the next year. Right. So, so from preschool to kindergarten, and then as we move through each, each grade level, you know, make sure, do we want to do we want to stay in the same type of program? Do you want to do something a little bit less restrictive? Do we think your your child is ready for that? And are you ready mm-hmm. for that? So mm-hmm. um, so those are discussions that it's always important to have with your team each each year, typically in the spring. And it's important to, you know, feel like you can ask all of the questions that you need. I always um you know, when when a student shows up in kindergarten and sometimes you think like, this is a student that looks like they're going to need some some support, some services. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, struggling to get through a school day in the general education classroom. Um, ask your pediatrician. It's important to, you know, ask those questions about developmental milestones. And they can usually help in the referral process if you feel like you're not you're not, you know, um knowing what the next steps are. Um, but yeah. oftentimes I I think the school approaches the parents and says, Hey, you know, these are the things that we're seeing at school. Um, lots of challenges throughout the school day. We'd like to complete an assessment. Um, right. Or an evaluation. Right. Well, because it is, it is interesting how many people, or excuse me, how many pediatricians will just kind of, you know, even though we're, we are in a time where they are, they are diagnosing, you know, children more often than not, but, but there's still those pediatricians. It's almost like you have to, the parent has to fight for, you know, them to even like, give me a referral to go out and get, you know, speech therapy, to get them tested mm-hmm. for speech therapy or for, you know, whatever it might be. Um, Shannon, I wanted to say really quickly, uh, Gracie, she's, She's the youngest in our group here uh, that mm-hmm. was diagnosed. She was diagnosed the youngest, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. She I would- think I think too, like just to the parents that are listening that are maybe starting this, mm-hmm. I think that my best advice is ask questions relentlessly mm-hmm. and do not there feel we go. bad yes. about it. Yeah. Um, because I think in the beginning, sometimes we can be timid about asking questions and mm-hmm. we don't want to come across like we're silly because we don't know enough or whatnot, you know, but as you get into this, you start to, like I told somebody on the team the other day, we were talking ESY and (laughs) all this other stuff. Extended school year. Extended school year. Yeah. And I said, Christina, you all know, I'm not just going to go away (laughs) (laughs) because like we've built that rapport, Mm -hmm. right? Like I am going to relentlessly ask questions mm-hmm. and we have to understand and you have to get to the point where you stop caring about how you look asking those questions because all of that work you know is going to get your children the services that they need um and so back to that Gracie was actually diagnosed like right around mm, we started doing the assessments through the pediatrician around 18 months. She started early intervention at 18 months. Mm -hmm. She was diagnosed just before her second birthday. So Mm -hmm. very early diagnosis. So very different. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. Yeah, Her pediatrician was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, Throughout that, we had an amazing early intervention team. Like if I could have held on to them and kept them until now, I would have. Um, And just kind of like our, the way our timeline looked starting that way, you know, we did the early intervention until three 
which then pushed her into the school program, the school district preschool program. And at three years old, she transitioned not only from early intervention to the preschool program through the district, but she transferred over to what we call in Arizona, um, Arizona long-term care system. It's called Altex mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. Um, which you do have to requalify for, right? So you have somebody else come out and sit at your home and do all of the assessments again and ask you if your three-year-old knows how to use scissors, to which you answer, I don't give my three-year-old scissors. Are you crazy? <laughs> do you know what they would do with scissors? Um no, I'm so sorry. I've never tried to string a noodle with my three-year-old. I, know, like, I felt I like know. such a bad mom. Like, oh my God, I got to go buy noodles, you know? So anyway, I still remember that sitting on my living room floor. But I'm like, do you know my kid? Do you know what she would do with scissors? Um, but I digress. Um, and then Gracie, you know, transitioned from the preschool program mm-hmm. into what they call the bridge program through the district. Um, and so, so also an integrated, was that an integrated mm-hmm. preschool? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it, it varies child by child. Some kids right. spend more time, you know, in the gen ed classrooms than other kids um, and that sort of thing. But we've had a really amazing team. Um, I will say Gracie qualifying in the school program Every time that we've had meetings, they've always said we're qualifying her based on her diagnosis of autism. Mm-hmm. But then the assessments will dictate, right, like the qualifications, how much time in each that she receives, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and I think the other thing, we've been very lucky with our school team. Like, I love our school team. Mm-hmm. Um so but good. we have had to request alternative assessments for some things also. So also understanding as a parent that your team does have alternative, alternative ways assessments to assess. for um for what types oh, of skills sorry, I just got are... a weird echo in there. Oh. Yeah, go ahead, Sarah. What, go ahead, Sarah. What types of alternative assessments did you they were just the standard assessments that they would use on certain kids. Gracie would not entertain if Gracie is not highly motivated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's going to not um, cooperate. So them just figuring out the alternative ways to be able to find the answers that they need and doing things in a way that Gracie would mm-hmm. respond mm-hmm. to. Um, mm-hmm. So don't get too disheartened if your team is having a hard time finding some of the answers that they need. They should be ready and willing to yeah. look for other ways to work with your child. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think too, it's important when, you know, um, to, to take notes so diligently so mm-hmm. that when you go to your pediatrician or you go to your team, you can say, you know, no, these, these are the words that we, that we use. And you can give really mm-hmm. specific concrete examples. These are the things that I'm seeing when you're having, you know, when you're experiencing behaviors that you feel like, you know, are not your typical tantrum. Maybe you can say yeah. the duration and the frequency, they're lasting mm-hmm. for X amount of minutes and they're happening X amount of times throughout the day. Cause I think when you can give the more information that you can give them with, um, the, the better equipped they will, you know, and, and let's face it, the pediatrician doesn't always give you a ton of time, you know, inter- interacting and, and observing yeah. your child. Yes. So it's important to come with as many examples, e- anecdotal details that you can think of, because I think that really helps to paint, paint the picture. And when we do an evaluation, um, for a student with autism, there's, there are so many, um, different resources that we can pull together mm-hmm. to get a really yeah. good idea of, of what skills they have and, and what things that, you know, the, the deficits and the things that we need to work on without just rolling out an easel and, you know, and doing a, a standardized assessment, which as you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times kids can't participate in those. They're just, no, it's, yeah, um, no. so, so questionnaires and, and rating scales and observation and, and floor time and just engaging with them. Um, though, mm-hmm. and language mm-hmm. samples, those are the kinds of, 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 um, tools that, you know, you would hope that your, um, team is using because, you know, sometimes, Sometimes a formal instrument does give us a lot of information and sometimes it doesn't. So things to remember. You know, one thing that I think I've found very, very helpful is that there's there's two things, actually. One is like continuity of 
like the words that you use, how you were mentioning at home. So, you know, excuse me, letting them know, like if Gracie is having behaviors that are unusual, you know, at home, you know, we say that Gracie's having big emotions and, you know, instead of Gracie needs a sensory break, like at home, it's, I think that maybe you need a reset, you know, Mm -hmm. and that way at school, they're using the same terms for what we're seeing at home and what we're using at home. And then the other thing that I found so helpful, I have a huge stack, like I'm looking at a huge stack (laughs) in my office right now. Um, I keep Gracie's school every day sends home a report of Mm -hmm. like, you know, if she ate lunch, how much work, like, was she on task? Um, Did she have some big emotions? What's going on? I have every single day. I keep every single one. And the reason I do that is at an IEP table, like knowing that Gracie played for 30 seconds in six out of 10 trials with her peers (laughs) means I don't want to say it means nothing to me, but but mm-hmm. I when you tell me that my daughter is seeing improvement in these areas, but then I am looking at her daily report and it says that mm-hmm. she was 50% on task 90% of the time, like there's something there that doesn't jive. So yeah. it's not to like use their, you know, reports against them, but it is like, what am I seeing on the day-to-day that's being reported back to me? Um because sometimes that's very handy to have on hand also. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I still and, have and again, from I, last I, year. I think that goes, you know, back to just really the team being involved with each other. And, and mm-hmm. at us as parents, you know, again, it, you can't be afraid. You have to be hungry for the knowledge. Even if if you feel like you're asking the, you know, stupidest question possible just ask it and just know it and and i think it's a there's a better respect when when the team you know like knows help that you're involved mm-hmm. yeah and they they you want to and that you're not just coming in there and you're like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay yeah 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 you know um and and asking for that extra you know i mean uh sarah i'm sure you can uh tell us there are probably parents who who really want that that extra, tell me all about it. They're bothering you. <laughs> you know, they're doing all the things. Um, and and then they're probably the parents that that kind of sit back because they not that it's any fault of theirs, but they just don't know how heavily they can be involved, right? Right. And I think that those questions and that, you know, desire to be a part of the team is really welcomed. I like that. I would mm-hmm. prefer that over we meet and then I'm not going to see you for another year until mm-hmm. until our next meeting because, you know, the days do, they kind of get away from you and it's hard to reach out um, and check in with all of your families, but it's very important. And um, mm-hmm. when Shannon, when you're talking about, you know, the data, it's, I, I'm, I'm, it's a, a fine line for me because, you know, <laughs> as a therapist, we're taught to be very data driven and mm-hmm. how else do you measure progress, but to, you know, mm-hmm. have these, these numbers and the anecdotal, they don't, you know, my supervisor has said, we don't need that in the present levels. We don't need a description, but that to me is, I think what resonates with the families is let me tell you, I don't know how many times out of eight trials, you know, I got a response, but let me tell you something that I saw today. I saw a kid walk up to your Mm -hmm. kid and this exchange. And those are the things that, you know, Mm -hmm. make you want to cry. And that's the progress, Mm -hmm. but I can't really describe that in an IEP and have that be my data. So it's, it's so important that for those communication lines to be open. So you can share those types of things, those little breakthroughs and those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, we do, we have to, we have to collect that data. And sometimes it does seem a little, it Mm -hmm. seems a little silly, you know, that in four out of five trials, you know, we're going to see this. It's, it's hard to measure that and it's hard to track that. But, um, you, you know, I guess Mm -hmm. when you, when you hang on to all those daily reports, you can kind of look back and see the year in a snapshot and maybe see the changes in front of you. I don't know. And the trends. And 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 I was just going to say, yeah, you know, because there's so many, um, you know, for our situation, we have our IEP right in the beginning of the school year, essentially, right? We've been in school for 
about a month mm-hmm. and and Jack is already having to get, you know, and, and so it's his teachers. Nobody his, even knows him yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and and so for us, it's like not yeah. being afraid to check in like, OK, we're let's let's see where we're at in in January. You know, let's let's have a talk like, OK, we're getting closer to the end of the school year. Like how what are we looking at for, you know, the extended school year or maybe just even the like, can we push for the regular um summer school program, you know, if we don't qualify for the extended school year, you know, but just keeping that pulse mm-hmm. continuously throughout the year, because I mean, yeah, I, I, and again, this is not, I mean, this is seasoned, right? Like Jackson fourth grade, you know, this has taken mm-hmm. years now to really understand and, and, um, to be more diligent and, and mm-hmm. better at it. Uh, but but do in it. The, well, in the hope too, right, is that like learn from us so that you you go into elementary school understanding that you can do all of these things. You don't have yeah. to, you know, it's not a three, four year learning curve for our listeners yeah. who are just beginning, you know. Right, right. And I also make it very clear with Gracie's team. By the way, guys, everybody's email address is on the school district website. Just throwing that out there. And I have everybody's emails. They all have my email. They Mm -hmm. all have my cell phone number because I know like as a speech therapist, you deal with multiple kids a day. So maybe it's Gracie's day for her one-on-one and something comes to mind and you just, oh, I need to ask mom this really quick or before I forget, Mm -hmm. like pick up your phone and shoot me a text really quick. I am always a text away. Um, and that's also come in handy anytime we've had to do like med changes. Like I may need Sarah, my SLP to understand that we're doing a med mm-hmm. change. And so like Gracie's frustration levels are very high right now because, you know, there's some imbalances happening and it's a way for me to keep you guys informed. Informed. Yes. Yeah. So that you know yeah. what to expect in your next session, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think Sarah, you work, there's you so work many with- different. Oh, I was just going to say there's so many different vehicles for communicating now at, um, we use, um, uh, a um, platform called parent square and it, you know, it comes right to my phone so I can shoot out a Mm -hmm. quick message or I can find your phone number and text you so easily. And I like that, that it's, you know, communication can be instant and it can be right Mm -hmm. as I sit down with your child if, if I, you know, if we need to. So that's a nice, a nice thing to keep in mind. Yeah. You're right. We are literally a phone call or or a text away. And there's nothing that parents love more than getting video and pictures of their children. So, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Um, Sarah, okay. I really, I wanted to ask you, um, working in the elementary uh, situation that you are in, the program that you are in, how how does that look? Are you working kindergarten through fifth graders or... um, you know, because you're specifically at Dorothy Fox, which mm-hmm. is maybe kind of give us an idea of what what Camas School District looks like in yep. that sense, right? We have the different programs, um, just so that maybe parents can understand what that could look like in their school district. You know, yeah. So I um, am a I'm a part time therapist. So I work three days a week, and I have two uh, two programs. They're both the uh, um, integrated academic program. We call them the IAP um, or the IA program. And that program is, gosh, you might know the, you know, up to, I think, 12 or 13 students. Um, There's a team of paraeducators. A lot, the vast majority of those students have, it's a very complicated schedule. It's a bear of a schedule for these amazing teachers because they're, um, they're sending the students to spend time with their general education teacher. They're, they're uh, managing different grade levels, mm-hmm. have different lunch schedules, different um, prep schedules when they go to library and PE. So the the schedule is very complex. So when I am there, I'm there um, three days a week. So I kind of see the students where where it fits with the teacher's 
you know, ever changing schedule. So um, we'll take Jack, for example, if Jack spends time mm-hmm. with, um, with the fourth grade class, and then he might come back to Mr. Smith's classroom to work in a small group setting on, on those math computation skills or um, uh, um, the skills mm-hmm. that he needs that really intense instruction provided. And then he'll be back out with the, with the gen, the general education classroom um, to to work in uh, you know in social studies and um, science and those things. So I typically will see him in a small group with one other student, and oftentimes we'll we'll use um, my office is called the treehouse. So we'll come in and do a small group activity a couple mm-hmm. times a day. Um, if they're doing something unusual, sometimes it's fun for me to go in and work with him. Um, in the classroom, sometimes it's fun to find a, out, a space outside of the classroom to work with him. Um, I haven't yet really, I don't often push into the general education classroom and work with him in there just because I think, um, oftentimes there's a paraeducator roving to kind of help them support them in there. Um, and they, the paraeducators mm-hmm. are, I'm getting a little off, off tangent here, but they're very good at kind of monitoring how much or how little support I can give this student. So if I can just kind of hang in the back and they're doing okay, that's great. I'll do that. And then I'll dive in really when I need to just help them with something quickly and then step back out. So that's, I really like that about our paraeducator team is that they're really good at kind of reading the scenario and providing only the support that they need to provide. Um, So anyways, my day, um, I'm kind of with students all day with a group of one, two or three students doing typically language based activities. And then I have some students with motor speech disorders, motor playing disorders. So we're working more on speech sounds. And those are also often in a small group. So we can just really maximize the repetitions. Um, your at your school, you know, yes. I think most of the therapists work full time. Um, I guess I can't say that with certainty. So they kind of typically cap out at a number of students that they can effectively work with. Um, so I think that varies mm-hmm. from district to district. So oftentimes what in the fall, we kind of, we sit down as a team and we look at our, the number of students that we're serving, um, the number in each of the programs, or if we're just working with the students in the kinder through fifth grade population. Um, and then our team will say, okay, well, you have a lot of students at this school for, for only having two days there. So we might have to shuffle, shuffle programs around to kind of balance out our caseload numbers. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it can mm-hmm. be, yeah. and we, I yeah. think we discussed this. It can be a little unfortunate if you, you know, end up having to kind of move to cover, you know, to pick up additional students elsewhere because you really want to feel like you're planted in your community. You know, your families, you're working with kids year after year. I think that's a, that's a really good way to build that rapport. Um, But that is, you know, that's the realistic, Mm -hmm. you know, depiction of what it looks like within our, our school district. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, Jack has obviously every year since he's been in elementary or excuse me, even uh, the pre-K program, he's had different speech therapists every single year besides the two, there's two years he was consistently with, um, with somebody and, and, and it's okay, but, um, it's just for those parents out there to have that better understanding that it's not, you know, sometimes it can just be a district issue, right? Like there it's, um, you know, there's, there's, they don't have their programs set in stone yet. They don't have, you know, they're, they're figuring out and bringing in new programs and they don't have, you know, they're testing it out at this elementary school, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it is just a matter of, like you said, just, okay, we have to see the the caseload, you know, these two elementary schools have a, you know, their, the communication program is there. So, you know, it's more important that we have these SLPs, you know, it's a bigger caseload that we have them here consistently, you know, whatever. Um, so just, I would say just for our parents to understand that, ask the questions, right? It's, it's okay to, to want to know why, <laughs> why, why is my child having a different therapist every year or, um, but, but at the same time, giving a little bit of that, that grace, you know, yeah. um, then there usually is yeah. an explanation for, for the transitions and, and, 
also one of the things that I, that's happened to me so many times is, you know, Hey, your child is ready to go to a gen ed program next year. And we still want to provide speech services, but he's not going to stay or she is not going to stay in this program. So it's a celebration for the team and for the family. But then at the last minute, it's like, oh, and by the way, I am not the therapist that works with those students. So bye. And it's kind of a a bittersweet (laughs) moment because they're, you know, kind of catches everyone off guard. Oh, you're not going to be working with them anymore. Um, You know, and ideally that's why, you know, our, our concrete data can be so helpful because ideally we should be able to trade hands and, you know, um, and share a little background information about about your child, and then the new the the next clinician Therapist, should yeah. be able to pick things up, and it should be pretty seamless. Um, but of course, there's always that period of getting to know a student and really, you know, being able to read them and and their body language and the things that they need. And um, so, you know, there's always a little uh, rebuilding period. Yeah. And I, and, and, um, so important that you just said that because it's, it's sometimes we can't help it and it's a good thing. You know, we, I think we get stuck in this idea, um, as, as parents to neurodiverse children that consistency is the only way it's the best way they need that routine. And, and, and as much as they do, um, sometimes it's just, you know, they're growing, they're, they're going up those steps and, and they're, and, and that's looking different, you know, with maybe who their team is, et cetera. So, what what would you say um, to the parents out there who are, you know, a couple different situations, scenarios, let's say the parents who are first, you know, what should they look for in their speech, speech and language pathologist in, you know, getting into that early, you know, pre-K program um, on an IEP, et cetera? Um, what, are, what are some questions yeah. that they should yeah. be asking, you know? Um, so first of all, you know, you really, I think it's important as, as, as parents of children with autism, you really want a professional that, that, um, is on board with, with this neurodiversity movement that, that we're really, is such a beautiful thing because, you know, even just in my years as a as a speech therapist, things have changed so much. The way that we write goals for students, the way that we um, mm-hmm. are, are better understanding the the neurodiversity movement and and the neurodivergent brain as well, and really kind mm-hmm. of um, understanding that that that's that is who your child is and, and to celebrate those things rather than to kind of you know look at these are the things that we need to to change. And I think that's, that's been such a huge, um, a huge movement in these past few years. So I think, so someone who really, um, stays, um, current on research and, and, Mm -hmm. and really is, you know, involved in that, in that movement and, and, um, understands that the professional development surrounding that neurodiversity movement, and that they're going to provide affirming support, really promoting, you know, agency um, for your kid and, and self-determination and, re- and just really supporting what you want for your child as well. Um, you um, you don't want, you know, and it's okay to ask, you know, what, what are the goals that, you know, even if they don't know your child that well yet, you know, what kinds of goals, you know, are, are you thinking to, to of writing for my um, child? Because you really, you don't want a lot of these like compliance-based goals that we used to see. And I mean, I probably used to write them as well, but you know, you, we don't, we don't write goals anymore for, for eye contact and um, those mm-hmm. kinds of things. So you really want to make sure that, that I think that your clinician is, um, is writing goals that, that are intended to really um, help your child to, to be the best, you know, version yeah. of themselves and and what you know also what you want to see out of out of um their therapy um so someone who understands really just who has a good understanding of autism and and really also someone who understands the comorbidities that that can coexist with autism so ADHD um intellectual impairment um anxiety um depression um any of those, you know, GI disorders, like gastrointestinal mm-hmm. disorders, anything that can coexist with love that you're saying autism. all this. Yeah, you really want someone that's aware of that because you know, even and and 
you, we're always learning. We're always getting better. And there's, you know, I will be the first to admit that, you know, if I read a, a student's evaluation and there's things I don't know, I jump right onto speechpathology.com and I take a one hour course and, and I'm a little more informed or, you know, yes. and I can pull some research and I can be prepared to work with your kids. So someone who understands mm-hmm. those things, um, a strong background in augmentative alternative communication or AAC, you'll hear the term AAC a lot. Um, that's important. <clears throat> and I mm-hmm. think a lot of a lot of speech therapists, you know, when we go into an interview, that might be the area of weakness that, you know, a lot of people, you know, because it is such a vast um, area within our field. And, you know, to, to feel like you're an expert at AAC is really is a challenge. But um, again, to be willing to kind of learn as you go with your students. So, hey, I don't know that much about this particular um, speech generating device that I think would be appropriate for your for your kid, but I'm going to learn as mm-hmm. we go through it so I can teach you how to use it and we can learn together. So someone who's who has, um, if not a strong background in AAC, who is who's willing to really dive in because that's to, that to be yeah, very educate important. themselves and yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if you guys have had, you know, if you've worked with AAC devices with your, with your kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. So not, not Jack, sorry. I'm Gracie. With, okay. Yeah. Gracie. So, one. and you know, a lot of times with the littles, with the early childhood, you know, we, we used to start out with, with um, PECs, picture exchange communication symbols. And um, we've sort of moved away from that. Not that the picture communication symbols still, you know, those are still very important, but the, the, they call it PECS, the PECS system we've kind of gone away from because, um, there's an element of, you know, until you do this, we're going to withhold this or, you know, it's, um, it's still based in that, um, it's a kind of has science based yeah, yeah. sort of program. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so using pictures is important, but also, you know, having your, um, if you're, child is is largely nonverbal having your therapist be ready to jump in with a very um a robust uh communication system is important so mm-hmm. we're not spending a ton of time teaching single words we're going to expose your child to all of the core and the fringe vocabulary and help them build something um, quickly. So, cause they, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, they can pick those things up so quickly when they need it. So um, the communication, the, I, I mean, that's important. And also someone who's, who's going to communicate with you and you have a good rapport with, because, you know, you want to be a part of it and you want to see what's going on and know how you can um, continue to, you know, extend those things in your, in your own home and work on those things at home that, so you're really working in a collaborative way with your therapist. Um, Yeah. So speaking of collaborative really quickly, because there are so many um, people who are uh, still doing the speech outside in a, in a private institution, you know, um, and then they're doing it also in the school district. So, so how does that kind of look, you know, if a parent wants to get the two therapists so that they're, you know, that they're kind of jiving and that they got the same thing going on, or mm-hmm. at least that they know, they know what, you know, what each other are doing. Is that important to you in the school district is knowing like, okay, you know, Jack is getting therapy outside of here. What is it that his therapist is working with? Or, you know. Yes. I what love that. that. Um, so there's a disclosure form that I, I'm the name of the form escapes me, but your your school therapist and your private therapist will both have one of those that we'll share with one another. Um, parent mm-hmm. will sign, and then we can you know talk together talk, and yeah, about yeah. about your child. And um, I really like that because I have like one student, for example, this year. Mom said, "I'd love for you to speak with his private therapist." Well, she's been working with him um, for three years, so yeah, I was able to you know glean so much from her as far as what, what's been successful and what are you guys working on right now? Where's, you know, his kind of zone of development right now that you're, that you're Mm -hmm. finding success. And remember, she sees him in a different setting. And I think sometimes, you know, just like you guys, what you see at home 
is sometimes different than what you see at school. Those, yes. those academic demands are there. Um, it's a, it's a bigger setting. It's a different setting. It could be overstimulating. So sometimes the, the, the private clinician that's seeing your student, just her or him together, um, mm-hmm. their, you know, their setting and their, um, session might look a little different, but it's really nice to know that, oh, your goals are, are aligned with mine. And yeah, most oftentimes we are, we're working on the same thing unknowingly. And then when we come together, it's like nice to find, oh, our goals are, are very similar. Our- so, yeah. but, but always, you know, I think before that, that's an important thing for people to know though, that like, yes, have your, have your therapist communicate, talking with mm-hmm. one, another, communicating with one another and that you can, that can absolutely be, um, you know, I think Gracie's still doing, she still does, she d- uh, is getting speech therapy in school, but then also she's doing it uh, privately outside also. privately. Yeah. And, but you guys do it in home, right? Yeah. So yes, again, okay. it's that like like you were saying, Sarah. It's a very different um, situation than her being in school in this routine, in this you know schedule, um, different demands. But mm-hmm. the two of the you know the two therapists being able to kind of have an understanding of of so our goals what they're are working aligning, right. with her. Yeah, and yes, if, if yeah. the private or vice versa is seeing progress that the other therapist is not seeing, it's kind of nice to know. You know, what are you doing different? What are you doing? Maybe <laughs> what? How can I get there a little bit faster? Yeah, so that that can yeah. be very helpful. Um, yeah, and and we don't need to speak every week, but it's nice to speak like quarterly. You know, to kind of yes. just check in and where are you at? And and like we said, we can kind of um, compare progress in that way. And I like that. Um, and then, you know, that, you know, whatever you're doing at school is, is really being supported outside of school and parents are doing it at home. So it's just, um, that much more quicker to facilitate that progress. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and I know sometimes there's more, um, flexibility with the private therapy, um, you know, with the activities and the things that they can do, you know, we can't always do those things in the, in the school setting, but we can certainly try to be, you know, as aligned as we can. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the other things I always, and I know you guys have probably discussed this in various, you know, facets, but the technical jargon, um, for you always say, have your parent, you know, ask questions, ask questions, ask if you hear an acronym, um, ask what it means, you know, mm-hmm. you, especially within the field of, of communication, there's lots of different, um, I don't want to say like canned, but there's lots of different approaches, um, and, and theories and, and trainings and, um, programs that we use. So if there, if your therapist is throwing out, you know, ABA and, um, DIR and RIT and you, Ask what those are because a lot of these, um, a lot of our our um, approaches to um, building communication skills are uh, are child centered, are play based, and a lot of them borrow this very similar components. So you might find, you know, my my therapist um, loves DIR floor time. So DIR is developmental and individual difference and relationship based model and floor time mm-hmm. just means we're on the floor you know engaging on their level um basing our therapy around an activity or an item that they that they've selected um yeah. but so so dir floor time have you are you guys familiar with that mm-hmm. that's a mm-hmm. common a common uh, model but there are lots of others and they all like i said they all kind of borrow um components so a lot of them yeah. might look similar but they're called something different Yes. And then, and then so being able to know too, like in a, in their school setting, like, okay, we are using, we are using that with, you know, them alone, but then we're also using it in the classroom, maybe in the integrated classroom situation with other, you know, typical and other, uh, neuro divergent peers, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they did that a ton in kindergarten, you know, when Jack with, um, so it is it is interesting then to know that kind of stuff. Um yeah, it's just all about it just I keep going it's just all about like the education and asking the questions and not being yes. afraid and um wanting your whole team to be 
and 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 when I say whole team, I'm talking your school team, your outside team, just everybody to be on, um, you know, within communication with one another, just so that that we are bettering our child's, you know, mm-hmm. and situation and future and and growth and and all of it. So. Yeah. yeah, and you you know repetition is is so important for um for your children. So you know, for example, Mr. Smith uses um I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Superflex. It's just like a social communication um kind of curriculum, I guess. Um, but the kids love it, and I wasn't really very familiar with it. So, um, being new to working with Mr. Smith's classroom this year. I'm on board. I'm using that, um, you know, supporting it in mm-hmm. the therapy room. And so we're using the same where, you know, that it's a t- whole team of characters and it's, it's very cool and it's comical and the kids just really get it and it really resonates with them. So why wouldn't I, you know, jump on board and be using Church the same and, thing? So yeah, those yeah. are things that, you know, it's, um, if your if your speech therapist is really partial to one particular approach or training model, you know you can that's that's great, and they're probably an expert at that particular model. But it's important, I think, that they're open to you know exploring and 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 supporting the things that you're that the classroom teacher is doing because that's such a great way to to you know to facilitate growth when, when you're seeing it all over, you know, in more than one setting, it's a great way to generalize those skills. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Your team, especially your team within the school, really having that, that communication with one another and, and working towards those goals. You know, I, I, that's what I love about you and Sharon is that the two of you really, um, you know, Jack's occupational therapist, Mm -hmm. the two of you just really come together. Like, how can we what can we do together? How can we better, you know, reinforce e- e- one another's therapies? Um, how can we do it even more in a um, inclusive, you know, setting that that his general ed classroom? Um, so so important, so so important, so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I like Shannon. I know you said you really like your team, um, and that's so great because you know, and I really like my mm-hmm. team. Um, Sharon is I I. I haven't worked with someone um, just as skilled and open and just, she's absolutely just lovely, but it's nice that your team is cohesive because they really need to borrow and, and ask the questions to each other too. So it's important for that, for that team to gel. So, I mean, that's sort of out of your hands, but you know, you hope that your, your whole special education team is really working in a cohesive way together. And that's important. And that's something that, you know, that's what we're supposed to do. So, yes. Um, but then be prepared for that, you know, for the next transition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I always, you know, I'm like, oh man, we have a great team right now. You know, Jack has an incredible team between his therapist in school. Um, obviously the gen ed teachers change every year, but, um, you know, between his, his special, special education teacher and then therapist. And I'm like, okay, can we just hang on to this for this school year? And next year, I know it's going to change for middle mm-hmm. school, but like, just like, give me just, you know, one, one more year of, of, um, just continuity this, and, and yeah, right. you know, routine and him really flourishing with those people that he is working with, but it doesn't always happen that way. So, no. um, I've come you know, from very it, large school districts and, and working now in a relatively small district. And I know that the transition piece is, um, something that, that we really value. So even in a, in a gigantic district area we always carve out time to reach out and speak with the when when a student is transitioning and i love mm-hmm. that because you know you can read the document and you can see what the student looks like on paper but to be able to speak to the the person who the team that was working with the student prior you get those those that inside information that you just it's hard to get off of a a piece of paper um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Someone that I that I um, have been taking some trainings from recently, she says, um, when you know, when you've met a person with autism, you've met a person with autism, and I just mm-hmm. that it really stuck with me because it's like you know, okay, so I've met I've met you, but what do I really know about you? And it's you can't really 
know the, those details and those little idiosyncrasies until you get to know the child and the family. Yes. So, um, and the family and the whole working, mm-hmm. the whole care, the whole care map, how, how it's all working together. You know, um, everybody's home life is very individualized as well. You mm-hmm. know, um, not, there's not always two parents in the house or, you know, Shannon and I both have, uh, you know, first responder husbands. So they're, generally not home a lot, you know? And so what does that dynamic look like for that child? You Mm -hmm. know, what is it, what is it, how does that affect how they're then coming into um, school and ready to learn or engage or just anything that's going on in life, you know? So, so important, so important. I love it, Sarah. Well, I, awesome. I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) I just, I really was enjoying this and I, um, I listened to you guys quite a bit prior to this, prior to today. And it was just, um, I shared with you, I think just this community that you've created where you're just, you know, the ins and outs, it's, it's such a Mm -hmm. complicated system to navigate if, you know, you feel like you're, uh, you're alone and you don't feel comfortable asking the questions. So I just kudos to you guys for creating this community that I, I can see based on, you know, what I've seen on your social media and, you know, people really appreciate this and they need it. Families really need yeah. this. So, yeah. And these are the we kind of just are the resources that we tell people, you know, go on social media and join groups and ask questions. And, you know, it's, it's really important. I feel like if somebody would have said this to me back, you know, six years ago, um, and would have just said, you know, like, hey, there's there's these different ways, and and don't don't feel, you know, embarrassed or ashamed or or you know, look into this. Um, it, it's it's not what what the four of us had, and it's definitely what we strive to um, to have for our community, mm-hmm. you know, and to and to normalize, right? Like we're not the experts. We're still not the experts of our mm-hmm. own <laughs> children. Oh no. You know, and we're all learning together and and um and it's ever changing too. So, um I'm so so grateful to have guests on like you and just um people coming together and 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 just sharing their experiences. So, mm-hmm. anyways, okay. Um we probably should wrap up. Shannon's packing up, ready to go. <laughs> not a full day. She's got a full day. Another we busy have no day. days because we are uh, iced in again. Yes, um, here in in Camas, Washington. Um, but Sarah, we appreciate you coming on so so much. Um, keep doing the awesome work. And um, anybody out there, if you uh, want to go on and give us a little review. Shannon likes to say a five star, but you know, I'll just say, yeah, uh, <laughs> just give, give us a review. Hopefully it's a good one. Um, and, and actually a written review helps us the best. Cause that, that reaches out to helps us to reach out to more parents, um, and people in the community. Uh, you can reach us at. Hello at momstalkautism.com. You can also find us at momstalkautism on Instagram. <laughs> One day I'll remember our email. Yeah. It's really she simple. I don't know why I have such a hard <laughs> <laughs> And yes, you guys can always reach us, out to us on our Instagram page at, at momstalkautism. Um, that is it. Well, this we has been an all. absolute pleasure. Thank you again for having <laughs> Sarah, me. Sarah, you're so incredible. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys.